ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. I don't know how many of you guys know this, but we got like a foot of snow here uh, in New York City. Yeah. And I got to tell you, if there is a time to get a foot of snow, the pandemic is probably it. That had such a minimal effect on my life. Like, if I was having to go into the studio, whoo, baby, I'd have been furious. Like, back before the pandemic, we couldn't just be like, hey, how about we record these television shows from our homes? That was not an option. I'd have been out there marching in that snow. Like, at first, it was kind of whack because the snow came, um, like, Sunday night going into Monday. And I'm like, damn, I got to work, you know, on Monday and Tuesday. Like, I'd kind of rather just watch it out the window and, like, light some candles and watch movies or something like that. You know what I'm saying? But instead, I was going to be, like, on that grind. But either way it went, it wasn't like it was stopping me from doing anything. Aside from the fact, like, it's a pandemic and it's cold as hell outside. Like, I be out here and I see on the internet all these other places where y'all just out here wilding, like living with no regard. Um, I hate you all. I want to be very clear about that. But shit, man, New York, even if people like didn't have a little more self-control about themselves, what we what we going to do, where we going to go? Like, I just couldn't see it. Man. It's so much snow. Um, I actually had to leave the house. This was interesting. I went and did uh, Inside the NFL with Showtime. And actually, benefit of the snow. Uh, Brandon Marshall is normally a co-host on that show, but he couldn't get into town. And so they had to figure out who they could get to get. So they called me. I ain't going to lie to you. I saw they wanted me to be on Inside the NFL. And if the person who asked it was not somebody that I knew personally, like somebody that I had actually met, I would have assumed that they were trying to reach uh, former NFL linebacker Dahani Jones. I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens. Well, I don't know why the hell y'all calling me. But anyway, man, power to snow. Guess you kind of take it as it goes, man. Um, let me ask a question. And this is going to sound, I mean, I don't know. This might sound a little weird. I think I may have talked about this before, but still. Um, who is having a good week? Because I do kind of feel like, in a way, that we've kind of gotten caught. I don't even know if I want to say it's like a vortex or whatever it is. But, like, so much has gone wrong for so many people in so many ways. And something I hadn't really thought too much about, but I'm just kind of curious about, is, like, how often do you feel like you just have a good day? Like, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes... You just wake up and have a good day. There's no real explanation for it, right? But, like, you wake up feeling good, um, and then after that, like, for whatever reason, everything comes up millhouse. You know, like, how many, like, how many days or do you feel that way or how often do you feel that way um, in these times because let me tell you something like when it does happen and when you do feel it i have to say i absolutely suggest you grab that shit and hold on tight like for whatever reason i'm having a good ass week 
I don't really know why. I don't know what brought it on. I actually think it has to do with the fact that I had kind of slipped on that yoga and then that messed up everything. You know, like, that's the thing about that yoga, man. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to stop because when I don't do it for a certain period of time, it becomes a chicken and egg conundrum. It's like, I don't feel real good, so I don't want to do yoga, but do I not feel real good because I don't do no yoga? You know, you know what I mean? So that sort of thing happens. But for whatever reason, man, everything been coming up sevens this week, right? Like, like the time that I woke up on Monday and like the timing of getting up to going to the workout to uh, having a protein shake, getting in shower to doing the call, like everything just like pop, 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 just hit. Everything just rolled. You know what I'm saying? And then Tuesday came around and it felt the same way, hitting the workout strong, getting in my sunset uh, yoga or like around the time of sunset, you know what I mean? Go in there, cook dinner, that was on hit. You know what I'm saying? Like every now and then it just kind of rolled. And so like we recording this on a Wednesday. Plenty of time for the week to go to hell. Fully understand that. But this just happens to be one of them weeks where, like, everything is rolling strong. I don't know why. It has just happened. Perhaps, again, maybe it has something to do with the yoga. Like, I done got a lot of work done. I had to do stuff late. Like, you know, whatever. Just Everything just kind of rolled, right? It feels kind of good. You wind up in them places. And, Again, randomly, I don't know why it happened or how it's played this way. It's just what it is, at least in this moment. But I also was just kind of thinking that in these times where so many people are, like, going through so many things, when you feeling like you on a good roll, how comfortable do you feel sharing that with people? Like, I'm just kind of curious about that because... Like, in my macro-level life, I don't always know with some people, like, how to talk about the things that go on in my life. Because at least, this is one thing that happens when you start making a lot of money. Everybody feel like you you good. And even if you ain't good, you good. You know what I mean? That kind of happens. And um, But the other side of it is, you know, my friends, by and large, they, you know, it's just folks, you know, they got shit going on. They got ups and downs. And, you know, like, I think sometimes I feel like they were like, what you up to? And I start rattling off like all this stuff about like, you know, the TV life, not the TV life. That sounds far too pretentious. But I think you understand what I'm saying. You know, I start talking about that stuff and they were like, yo, so what's going on with you? Right. Like, it makes me a little uncomfortable. Um, but I feel like in these times. You can create an analogous situation, like, just by having a good day. You know? Like, when something's going good for you. I don't, I'm curious, you know, because, I mean, I got my own circle in life or whatever it is, but I am kind of curious, like, how interested the people around you are in, like, hearing that you're rolling, because so many people are not, you know? And I wonder how people feel if there's any, like, level of conflict, really, you know, with the idea of, like, if you what you got is rolling and then you look around and it ain't like really hitting. You know, it's just a thought. Like it ain't about nobody in my life or nothing like that. It was just something I was just thinking about because whatever. I don't know why. Sorry, got the snap out. You gotta roll the dice. Then the snap. All right. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. Okay, here we go. Is it uncomfortable being the subject of a profile? Congratulations, by the way. Um, 
Yeah, so I don't know. Some of you may have seen it. Some of you did not. But uh, the Washington Post did a uh, profile of me. You can check it out. Um, it is not really uncomfortable for me, like, if somebody does a profile. I do find it, like, weird to a degree that anybody cares that much about me, right? Like, that's not something I would expect. Um, but... Yeah, it's just a little different. Like, I think I told you the thing that was for me kind of, I don't know, weird's the right word. I think I talked about this on the podcast, but they sent a photographer out to take pictures. And this was the day of the last snowstorm. Yeah, people remember that. I mentioned it was freezing cold outside, right? And I'm like, yo, man, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this, right? You know, we got the snow coming. He's like, yeah, hopefully we can go out. And then when we're coming back, we'll get some flakes. Cause he's thinking like a fucking photographer, not like somebody who would like, I'm thinking of it as a Southerner. Like, what are you talking about? Snow. We go inside. Anyway. Um, so we're rolling out and he looks at me and he got his, uh, iPad and he's like, yes, yeah, I want to show you some of the other pictures that I've taken. I'm like, okay, cool. So he gets in the iPad. First picture he shows me is a portrait. He did at Denzel Washington. Now he went to Denzel Washington's house and took some pictures. I'm like, oh, okay, so I guess this is real. <laughs> all right, let's go. I just do all, you know, like, I feel like I've noticed something over the course of time, which is if worse come to worse and you got, like, a little dough or whatever, throw on a hoodie and throw on, a, like, overcoat, and all of a sudden you can look like you got some style to you. And so that's what I did. I got the one that I thought had the most unique color, and I threw it on over one of them expensive hoodies. Right. Like I've had the opportunity to go into like the three figure uh, hoodie range and you're thinking to yourself, why would I do that when I can get these other hoodies? And I feel you and I can't really explain it to you without you spending a hundred something dollars and getting the hoodie itself. It's very difficult for me to do, but it definitely worked out well because I look like I was like kind of edgy. You know what I mean? Like I got all this fucking hair. You know what I'm saying? I got a little hoodie on there. I got the cashmere coat. You know, I managed to look classy and relaxed all at one time. Uh. Thank goodness, because I I was I did I did not think that we were taking like real pictures. I had, I would have like put some effort into this, but when is the last time I put any effort into what I was wearing? Are you kidding me? Like I went in there and did inside the NFL. I had to go put on a suit. I was like, man, I hope this thing still fits, and it did for whatever it's worth. Like I you know ain't that much change, obviously. But I still can't find a good belt. I don't remember. I feel like I had another situation early in the summer where I needed a good belt and couldn't find it. Um, but I, I couldn't find a good belt. So I was just hoping nobody would pay attention to the fact of how cheap my belt was. Cause it's kind of had some limited options. Um, at that point, uh, Jackie didn't, you know, coming across the front, felt a little snugger. I've never had that happen before in my life, but at the same time, it's been so long since I want a suit. I don't really know what nothing like actually felt like. I have no idea. Like I, I'm, I'm trying to tap back into the memory and be like, yeah, is that what this was like? I really have no idea I, that that's. That's kind of where we at. But now I went out there um, and here's the thing about the snow in New York. Like your building or whatever it is, there's like some level of obligation that they got to get the snow out from in front of it. But the snow has to go somewhere. You feel me? Like it has to go somewhere. So the snow just winds up everywhere. And what you end up with 
are like little, basically like pathways or walkways that have been carved out by the various people who put their feet on the ground and go walk out. So here I am putting on one of them good suits, putting on my good coat. I got my shoes and I'm out here like twinkle toeing it in the New York City streets. Yeah, man. Um, I don't even know what, what, what I was talking about there, but the talking has been done. Your question is appreciated. Let us move on to the next one. Is $24 million in your forehead a flex? So this is a real thing. I think it's, uh, which one of the little it lils is it? Is it the Uzi Vert? Um, so I think uh, little Uzi Vert got a $24 million pink diamond embedded into his forehead. Top five dumbest shit I've ever heard, right? Um, and so the question is, is $24 million in your forehead a flex? A weird one, as they say, but yes, it certainly is a flex. Here's my thought about you putting a $24 million diamond in your forehead. I don't know how exactly you have financed this because I know this young man does not have a full on $24 million himself. He had to get some variety of loan in order to get to this point of $24 million. All I'm saying is, dog, you better keep making these hits. Or maybe you hit it big on the Bitcoin, on the funny money. I got no idea. But you better keep making these hits. Because whoever, whoever gave you the money in order to do this, they will dig that thing out of your forehead like it's an apple core. Just so you know. Said he's been financing this for three albums. So has he actually stacked up the $24 million to hand over for this diamond, to put it in his forehead? Because if this is the case, I want to meet Lil Uzi Vert. And the reason why I want to meet Lil Uzi Vert is I got to see what other dumb shit I can talk him into. Like if somebody could get him to put $24 million toward this cause, I can only imagine what I can get him to put toward me. Kids these days. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, I'll answer this. Man said, with something like the profile that just ran on you, do you get to review it beforehand to make sure they talk about you in a manner you like? No, those aren't the rules. You don't like, I think that's something that people misunderstand, especially when they read something that's about one of their favorites and they don't like it. The purpose of them writing about you is not to write something that you like. Like, generally speaking, if somebody asks if they want to write about you, it's going to wind up being something that you like because people are more inclined to write about people that they like actually do like. Now, if they start getting out here and asking questions and people start telling a different story of sorts, then you might wind up being in trouble. But no, they ain't running nothing past you, nor should they. That's not, that's not what this is. Like, you turn your story over into the hands of somebody else for them to find what they think the story is, you know? And the game is better that way, to be honest. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. Did you see One Night in Miami? I don't get all the hype. So, I did see One Night in Miami. And at once, I do get all the hype. While also thinking that it was a pretty good movie and that's about it. Now, to explain that, 
I get the hype in the sense that, like, is Regina King's uh, first time directing a movie, right? And she's one of those people that everybody likes. And, and of course, not everybody likes her because everybody knows somebody that just has an irrational distaste for somebody that there's no reason to really have a passionate opinion about, right? And so she's in somebody's crosshairs. I personally, I mean, she's cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've been seeing, like, all the over-the-top gushing about Regina King, and I don't see that at all. I mean, I think she's an actress. The problem is we ain't, ain't so many that we got that we got to hype the hell up out of all of them, no matter who they are. Like, I saw the Golden Globes uh, coming out. To, you know, the nominations came out today, and I hate this time every year for every set of nominations for any one of these awards because everybody decides – that they know that whatever whoever they people are, whatever it is, whoever they favorite, whatever movie they love, that person better get nominated for this award. Like, they're not hundreds and thousands of fucking movies made every year, and how many of them have you actually seen? Like, I am rarely in a position where I can have an informed opinion truly about the top five of anything. But everybody is so sure that whoever the people were in they one movie should have got nominated for whatever it is, and they mad and it's white folks and everything else. You know, white folks be tripping. Don't get me wrong, but like everything always comes up, and it's just always so ridiculous to me because I'd be like, "Have you ever, have you even seen the other things that are here to have this opinion about whether or not your favorite should have made it in there?" Right? I hate this season so much, and also it's the way that people show off for each other on social media. Right, because everybody becomes an outrage contest. That's how you show that you down. Is how mad you are that one night in Miami didn't get this nomination, that nomination, or whatever it is. All right, this was my thing with one night in Miami, and I actually find it to be kind of disappointing. And maybe somebody wrote this and I didn't see it. I actually looked around a bit of reviews. I didn't see this, but I thought this is my biggest criticism of that movie. And it is, and I know that it's based on a play and all of this, and it's not intended to be, like, 100% fact, all right? It's like this imagined conversation that takes place throughout the night. Okay, cool. I thought the movie committed two significant sins that affected the movie in my eyes more so than it would in most people because I'm a bit more familiar with the stories of some of these people, all right? They had Muhammad Ali and did too much with him. They had Sam Cooke, and they did not do enough. All right? So when I say that they had Ali, and they did too much with him, the Ali that is in that movie, to me, is an Ali that is just 100% imagined. All right? And the the reason that I think it is 100% imagined is that Ali was... Ali was a dynamic, energetic, passionate, courageous man. He was also an uneducated man. There's nothing wrong intrinsically with the fact that he was an uneducated man, but that rendering of Muhammad Ali in that film was not of an uneducated man. Like, that was a man with a vocabulary that Muhammad Ali did not possess. Like, I didn't feel like there was a need to move Ali in the ways that they did, which I felt were kind of, like, masturbatory of the writer. Right? Like, oh, I've got this idea of Ali. This is the Ali that I'm going to make. And I think that the Ali of real life was probably far more interesting. Okay? 
And then there's Sam Cooke, where I feel like they did a real disservice to Sam Cooke in the way that they portrayed him. Now, if you have not seen the movie, maybe you want to like skip to the next question or whatever it is in this podcast. But I want to talk about this in a bit more explicit detail. So, the film starts with Sam Cooke in a room at the Fountain Blue, and then he winds up coming over to, I forget the name of it, but the, black, the famous black hotel in Miami to catch up with Ali after he's won the championship, which, of course, is something that would never happen, right? Like, they, they, it, not in the way that this was, but that doesn't matter. It's not a factual thing. And so Sam Cooke is there, and they're talking about Sam Cooke staying at the Fountain Blue because Alan Klein uh, booked his room for him at the Fountain Blue. And I felt like they were really kind of playing Sam Cooke as though he was this dude who in some ways has sold out his people and was trying to make the argument that it was okay because like he had a publishing company or whatever and Bobby Womack wrote a song at the Rolling Stones cover and then he put money in Bobby Womack's pocket. Like, you know, like capitalist in that sense, um, which was in contrast to Malcolm X who's looking at him as a man who looking at Sam as a man who only is singing songs to entertain people and is not singing songs to enrich his people and that he gives them this stern lecture um, about this fact. And then after the fight in Miami, there's his appearance on, I guess it was the Ed Sullivan show where Sam Cooke gets up and he sings the change is going to come, which of course is this fantastic moment in the movie because that Leslie Odom dude you you cast him to do that, right? And he nailed it 100%, right? But there's a scene, and I see Kyle mentioned this in the chat room, where there's a scene where Malcolm X, who apparently travels or they just had this record in the Black People Hotel for whatever, he's giving Sam Cooke this lecture about how he has to do, needs to do music for the people, and he puts on Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind, and he says how ridiculous it is that Bob Dylan wrote this song about the struggles of, our, of, of black people and that you, Sam Cooke, did not do it, right? Here's the thing. In real life, there was a moment where Sam Cooke heard blowing in the wind and it frustrated him that Bob Dylan was singing about racism and he was not. That absolutely 100% did happen. But it did not happen because Malcolm X chastised him. This was a conclusion that Sam Cooke had reached on his own. That performance on the Ed Sullivan show of A Change Is Gonna Come, historically speaking, took place in real life before the fight in Miami before the fight in Miami. Okay. So Sam has realized these things himself. There had to be a better device to convey that than Malcolm X browbeating him. Given that you are creating this scenario and then piecing together composite pieces of information, I, I thought that was a real disservice to Sam Cooke and his music and where he was at the time 
of this meeting. So here's another thing that I find to be interesting about the movie. You know, it start off showing Sam playing at the Copa. You know, and it's all dry and everything else, and the white folks ain't really paying no attention to him and all of this stuff, you know. But they're building this idea that Sam Cooke exists to be this man that entertains white people, basically, you know. But there's also an understanding that he does shows for black people, too, because they got the scene where Malcolm X goes to see him, wherever city it was, where he went in there, in Boston, where he went in there to see him. But anyway, um, in 1963... Sam and the record label decided to do a live album because he had never done a proper live album. And so they did the live album at the Harlem Square Club. And it's a very, very well-known album now. But the album was actually not released until 1984, 20 years after Sam Cooke died. Because the Harlem Square Club was this black club and it is a black-ass performance, right? You go listen to it top to bottom. It is amazing. It is a black-ass performance. But the record label felt that it would alienate sam's white base and so they never released it okay the harlem square club is in miami okay now you're not gonna tell me for a second that sam cook did not realize what kind of live album he decided that he was gonna do he knew what he was trying to do he had already reached these conclusions in his life before he got to miami and without being browbeaten into it by Malcolm X. So I felt like they made less of Sam Cooke than he was. Now, what they could have tried to talk about is Alan Klein, the dude that booked a room in the Fountain Blue, somebody should have been giving one of those speeches it's like, yo, you know Alan Klein is just going to steal from you, which is what Alan Klein ultimately did. All right? In fact, if you saw the... Two Killings of Sam Cooke on Netflix, a really good documentary I uh, suggest you check out. Um, They talk about the weekend before Sam died that he was coming to confront Alan Klein because he realized the paperwork game. Alan Klein is legendary for running paperwork games on people. You go ahead and look him up. He ran a paperwork game on the Rolling Stones, a couple other people. Like he just, he was known for getting people. He owned the Sam Cooke Masters after Sam Cooke died, which becomes more, again, other interesting questions. But anyway, Alan Klein ran Sam Cooke's pockets. So they make the point to bring up Alan Klein and him booking that room to try to suggest these things about Sam Cooke and white folks. And there was room in there, since we're just making this up, about the fact that Alan Klein was stealing from him. Straight ran his pockets. Straight ran his pockets. There was room to do that right there. The other place where they dropped the ball on Sam Cooke. They made mention, like, the closeout of the movie is a Malcolm X quote, and then saying that Malcolm X dies um, right, you know, shortly after that quote was offered. Sam Cooke died before Malcolm X did. Like, as you're wrapping this up, the movie does not make a mention to the fact that Sam Cooke died in 1964. Like, to me, that was egregious. Like, how do you do that? So, like, just as something to watch, it was a pretty good movie. You know, it was a way to, like, kill a couple of hours. It was all right. I'd go with that. But when you really, really, really started to, like, think about I just felt like they left a lot on the table. I didn't think they got much out of Jim Brown. 
um, in it. No, I didn't. I I didn't think they did that. I like, I really just came away from it like, damn. I just I think that y'all owe Sam Cook an apology. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. How is the stock market so completely divorced from reality? What's it going to take for the shit to hit the fan? So here's the big thing that we got. I was reading about this the other day because I really don't pay too much attention to like stock market finance stuff. That's not really my area of expertise. Um, But what we've got is these rich people have literally more money than they know what to do with right there is more money in the economy than there are physical goods to purchase and so that is part of why you're seeing so many people put money in so many things they put money in the market they put money in the crypto whatever it is but that is one thing that is driving the prices of these stocks so high um but i forget what the percentage is but most people in the united states don't own any stocks so there's a limited number of people that are driving this up and that is being used as the measure of the health of the economy for so many people when it's not it's its own thing like the 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 whole um gamestop and amc and robin hood and all of that stuff as i was watching it um unfold I just felt like for all parties involved, it exposed that this whole thing is just kind of speculative fiction. Now, the 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 people on Reddit who are on Reddit and then jumping on and trying to get these money. Look, my only problem with them is y'all ain't no heroes, man. Y'all just out here trying to score. That's it. Like a Robin Hood shut down and all of a sudden everybody's like, yo, this whole thing is a scam. Yeah, because you was really going to get out here and mess with the hedge funds money and everybody was just going to be like, all right, we cool. Good job, guys. You beat us fair and square. Like, I just watched a whole lot of people find out that Santa Claus is not real. A whole lot of people find out that the Wiz is actually Richard Pryor. Like, that, that, that was what so much of that felt like. And I was like, dude, there are no good guys in this whatsoever. It's a bunch of people trying to hit for a lick. And at some point, that lick is going to come down. We're starting to see this with GameStop. The Washington Post did a story about this. Because I have to say, if you made the move to get in on GameStop at like 3 $4, or something like that, and then you made a score, good for you. When it went up to like the 500s and sold, all right, good for you. If GameStop went up to $500 and you went in there and bought it, you are the dumbest motherfucker in the world. I, 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 like, I can't say that clearly enough. I can't say that to enough people. You are a moron. If you did not, like, if you tried to get in on this after everybody else found out, you are stupid. By the time everybody else found out, it was definitely not the time for you to get in on this. And a whole lot of people are going to take a hard crash, and I bet a bunch of them, like getting in at $350 or $400 a share. How many shares do you think people are buying? You know? How, many, I mean, how, how much money are you putting in? Yo, there's just folks that's treating this like it's gambling. Like all of this for them is just the casino. And, hey, man. You're going to have more fun playing cards than you will losing your money at this. And look, some people are going to figure out how to win. And some people have figured out how to win. And I did find it to be charming to a degree that these people were able to manipulate the speculative system in the ways that rich folks do it all the time. Jim Cramer get on television and say to go buy something, all of a sudden everybody get paid. 
So I did kind of appreciate the fact that a bunch of amateurs, for lack of a better term, went over there and just talked out some stuff and made it happen. All right. I didn't have any beef with them over the fact that they pulled it off. But then they had to go out here and start acting like we are regular people. Regular people are not sitting around buying stocks, man. Like not regular in the ways that people mean. And so then it just wound up feeling like, I don't think I said it in public, but I said this a few times. It wound up feeling like when you go to your wife friend's house and then all of a sudden, oh my God, mom, I hate you. And you're like, yo, like, like, like where did that come from? What is this about? And it feels like a whole lot of these kids on these boards that was doing this is just like, dad, granddad, I hate you. Like all of this seemed to be about something emotional. And I'm like, no, there's... This is not any real matter of principle. You are not fighting for the little man that has been boxed out by the hedge fund people. You would be the hedge fund people if you could get enough money to do it. You would be every bit as awful as them. And I know this because I see how dedicated you are right now to hitting for a lick. People that's dedicated to hitting for a lick like that right now, they don't get the lick and then they good. Right? After they get that lick, they try to hit for more and more licks. And as the licks pile up, there ain't but so many honorable ways to make the kind of money that people are looking to make. Somebody in the chat room says, somebody always gets left holding the bag and it ain't going to be me. There's a whole lot of bag holders who be saying that shit. I don't know if you want them, but it'd be a grip of them. So, yeah, like the whole stock market game, everybody, it's, everybody's guessing, man. It's just all guessing and discounting in some way. But I do think that what these cats exposed in this is, because I thought the point was fair as the people brought up, that Tesla ain't turning no profit, but Tesla has this crazy high valuation. Amazon was in the same place. Um, why is Tesla's share price the where that it, the reason you know where it is? And it ain't no science to it, man. It was a kind of a some shoulder shrug. Because the rich folks decided that that was the place to go with it. Right, but it's not based on whether it's not based on actually making money. That's the thing I've said for the longest. That's like the biggest issue with this system is there's but so much of an incentive for like the companies to actually be out here making money. Now they be out here doing terrible things in order to make the money, like to keep things straight. But the relationships between all these things are just so random. And I do think that that got exposed to people in a way that they couldn't quite put their hands on before the whole GameStop thing happened. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Under what circumstances would you let a white barber give you a haircut? Uh, now, I feel like you guys need to remember. I was bald in these streets for seven years. I can always go back. Like, that wouldn't be a thing at all. I would never let a white person cut my hair. Is there a black person in this room who would let a white person cut their hair? Because I'm not saying that there aren't black people who allow white people to cut their hair. I'm just saying that the kind of black people who let white people cut their hair are not the kind of black people who enjoy the content that I produce. It's just not coming from a place that they find to be relatable. I understand that. Well, hell no, to be fair... White man, go, white, white man ain't necessarily that interested in cutting my hair neither. They don't know. He, I walk in there with this. He ain't going to know what the hell to do. He can be like, well, there was this Jewish boy that came in here this one time, but I didn't cut his hair either. Like, nah, I'm not, I'm not going for that. I got, like, I, like the chain of circumstances that involves you just being like, yo, I let this white. No, 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 no. I don't know how that white man can sell me on it. 
I've had a Filipino dude cut my hair. Now, now, hold on. Let's flip this up. Let me be. No, no, no. Let me stop because I'm not being all the way correct. I can't imagine a scenario under which a white man would cut my hair. But that white man would have to be in a black barbershop and something would have had to make it clear to me that he earned his stripes. Like he got to have a line or something. But I just can't be like, yo, I'll give you a try. Because when this doesn't work, nobody's going to be on my side. Everybody's going to say it was my fault. And everybody would be correct. Everybody. Somebody in the chat room said he lived on a military base. It wasn't no black barbers growing up. Um, I don't, I, I'm serious about this, Josh, when you say this. How old are you? Because if you're my age, I can see that being a real conundrum. But if you're like 10 years younger or somewhere in there, you know damn well you could have looked that shit up on YouTube and figured out how to cut your hair before you kept sacrificing yourself to these white folks. Oh, 27? Yeah, you ain't got no excuse. You could have taken care of that yourself. No, you were, you were in a position to improve your situation. But I feel like, honestly, while you know, I'm enjoying talking about what it would be like if I like, allowed a white man to cut my hair, um, sisters, what would it take for you to allow a white woman to do your hair? Right? And I ask that because we don't really have that many examples of black people who would be participating in this conversation who can tell you about a white person having cut their hair. That just doesn't really come up, and not many of us have had the opportunity to witness with our own eyes what happens when a white person cuts a black person's hair, like outside of Tiger Woods. You know, like we don't, we don't see those things with our own eyes. But most of us have seen what happens when a white woman tries to do... Um, a black woman's hair. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? I know I've seen pictures of black girls and a white person did their hair. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know where I'm coming from on this? Nobody knows? Uh, can I ask the chat room? Um, just taking a survey here. Um, are there any biracial sisters in the house? Any, any biracial sisters? Um, if there are um, any biracial sisters in the house, I know you can't actually tell them because this is not that kind of medium, but um, can you tell us about some of your school pictures? Where your mom did your hair? Because I've seen those pictures. I know I'm not the only person who's seen those pictures. I've seen those pictures. And those pictures would absolutely scare me off from ever letting a white woman touch my hair if I was a woman. Like, that would be enough. That said, I went on uh, the Instagram once. And I checked out uh, the page for Rachel Dolezal's uh, hair braiding shop. And I got to tell you, she does good work. But do you realize the level of dedication that she had to, like, invest in order to be so good at that? 
It wasn't just about braiding for her. She had to immerse her whole life into that. That's what it'll take. Some dude named Jeff says, Bo, aren't your brother's kids mixed? Jeff, you nosy motherfucker. My brother doesn't have kids. And even if that was the case, what would that have to do with what we're talking about? I would not want my sister-in-law to do the kid's hair. And guess what? I bet she'd be scared to do it too. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Kyle Rittenhouse broke bond and the feds don't know where he is. How far can this good-to-be-white go after this? Yo, that was wild. Apparently, buddy, they've been, like, sending letters to him and stuff, and they got sent back. And so I saw that apparently um, buddy say that they are somewhere in a safe house. Um, And, look, I'm not going to discount the possibility that they've received some threats and stuff like that. Like, I think that is... Entirely possible as a scenario, I could totally see why they might want to jet out. How many guns you think that safe house got? Like, once they referred to that thing as a safe house, I was like, oh, I bet you might want to be careful when you roll up in there to get him. Keeping in mind that this is a dude that allegedly went out in the streets shot some people, and then got in the car with his mama and went back home. Yeah. Be, 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 be easy with that one. Approach that one with caution. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. We do this thing once a week, and we try something like that. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Uh, remember to, uh, if you cannot watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. Also, Google Podcasts and Spotify. We'll talk to you guys a little bit later. Take it easy. The Evening Jones is an old soul production. Creative direction and design is provided by Kareem Gilliam for Oh My's Creative Design.